You're listening to the Salt Churches Podcast. Here you can listen to messages, inspiration, and lessons learned about planting microchurches all across the nation. Thank you for tuning in. To find more information, you can visit us at www.saltchurches.com. This podcast is brought to you today by Salt Church's founder, Jesse Green. Hi, we love Kahana. We love actually everyone here. And this morning was so emotional. I don't know how we do anything after that. I'm like in the front bawling my eyes out. I'm like, yes to all of it. It's so good. Um, I agree with that. (laughs) So we're going to just kind of be going back and forth. So if you're not used to that, just settle in and get used to it. So um, this is Parker. I'm Jesse. Hi, I'm Parker, and this is (laughs) Jesse. So I'm going to start a little bit with uh, how we ended up here in Southern California. Uh, Jess and I actually met in New York. Um, It was a little bit of a scandal. I was her pastor. I'm in New York. So I actually moved out from Southern California um, to be a campus pastor in New York City. And we pastored there together, um, which ended up being a couple of campuses, worship ministry, with which neither of us have any experience in. Jesse took that over, um, helping start the men's ministry and small groups and just a flurry of religious activity that we um, took over at at the church we were running. And it was actually my brother-in-law and sisters um, church out there in New York called Liberty. And uh, at the beginning of 2016, uh, Jess and I both fasted. Jess was pregnant, so she was like not really fasting, but like cut out a couple of things. And David's really skinny though, so David's our first son. I don't know, but I did a 21-day fast, and God wouldn't leave me alone about California. And then Jess shows up. She went on a trip and comes back. It was about a week, right? I look like I survived a death camp when she got back and she was terrified and I smell horrible um, when I fast because my body was just cleansing itself. But I smelled essentially like a dirty sock in the corner of a gym bag all the time. So I was doing a lot of sleeping on the couch in that process. Yeah, first trimester and morning sickness doesn't help. And I made all the mistakes then. I made like pulled pork in our apartment. And she's like, I feel sick. I'm like, but it smells so good. So anywho, (laughs) don't do that. Don't make pulled pork for your first trimester pregnant wife. God wouldn't leave me alone about California. And we'd come out the year before. And Jesse is going to talk to you a little bit more about that. But I just felt a, a deep sense of longing, not just for California, but to do what the Lord is asking us to do. And I think so many of us, we complicate things too much. We put barriers ourselves in front of Jesus. And we started this almost this mantra in our relationship on the way out here. Jesus plus nothing. Jesus plus nothing. Jesus plus nothing. Jesus plus nothing. Like what does life look like? What could life look like with Jesus plus absolutely nothing else? Because he's the one lifted up in scripture. He's the point of the entire narrative of the gospel. He's the idea of the kingdom of the heavens. He, he is the point. He's history coming to a head. And for us, I think sometimes putting things in the way of Jesus or, or putting religious activity in the way of our relationship with him or pursuing him or his lordship in our lives is what really gets in the way of so many people living that full life, that full access 
to who God actually is. Because what, what we were honestly feeling, and this is a mixture of a million different things, is like I was trained at Hillsong for three years, like the mega of megas, and now we're out here running micro churches, like churches out of homes. Like it was torture for a year and a half. Worship was terrible. The prayer even was terrible. Like we were bad at prayer. Like the pe- some of the people were terrible, but mostly gone now. But the reality was like, I, I just lived, like I was like, I've started a church that is not the kingdom of heaven. I've started a church that is the kingdom of hell on earth. And like everything was bothering me. <laughs> so where, where we had to go in my heart and in our hearts together as a couple was really find what life looked like with him and nothing else. Because we wanted to live life fully alive. And I think so many of us are living half dead, and that's the problem. We need to go all the way dead so Jesus can resurrect us. We're walking around zombie-like and expecting people to engage with our version of Christianity. And it is Christianity. It's maybe not Christ-following. Too many of us call something that is Jesus-following that is not at all. Are you fully alive even when there's pain? even when there's suffering, even when there's difficulty. I can tell you, like, it didn't make sense for us to move out here. I had just gotten a significant increase in pay. We had just gotten health insurance to take care of a brand new baby. Jesse's business was taking off in New York City. We were, like, living in a baller apartment. Like, we had lived in a hole for two years. And then we moved to an amazing apartment overlooking the city in the financial district in southern Manhattan, in South Manhattan. And it's like a doorman building, like take your dry cleaning and stuff. And I'm like, every time I walked in, I'm like, I'm so rich. It's unbelievable how wealthy I am. But, but the reality was that we got to that point and realized that we didn't have exactly what Jesus was calling us to do. And we were doing ministry, yet being disobedient to the call that Jesus had put on our lives, which was to make disciples and do what he asked us to do. So I'm going to read this passage of scripture to you, 2 Corinthians 5, 11 through 15, and then New Living. Because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. You see, grace is opposed to earning. It's not opposed to effort. I just want to put that out there real quick. You don't have to earn anything from God, but grace will empower you to work. God knows we are sincere, and I hope you know this too. We are, commit, are we commending ourselves to you again? No. We're giving you a reason to be proud of us so you can answer to those who brag about having a spectacular ministry rather than having a sincere heart. If it seems we are crazy, it is to bring glory to God. And if we are in our right minds, it is for your benefit. Either way, Christ's love controls us or compels us since we believe that Christ died for all. We also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. He calls us to die to ourselves, not for some arbitrary reason or to watch us suffer or to see how much we can make ourselves suffer for Jesus. He asks us to die completely die because everything in between is not satisfactory. Because imagine if Jesus was half dead. Imagine if Jesus gave you half salvation, half the kingdom, half the inheritance, just a little bit. No, Jesus goes the whole way. And almost to a point, 
like makes a point of the suffering. Dies in the worst way possible outside the city where the trash is thrown. To make a point that he will go the whole way for us. And when he dies, he goes the whole way. So Jesus isn't asking you to do anything he hasn't done himself. We have a king who leads the way. It is the only religion on the face of the earth where the Savior sets the example, where the hero dies. The story makes no sense until he raises from the dead. So why does Jesus ask us to go? Why does Jesus ask us to go and make disciples? Because he says in Mark 8, 34 through 36, and he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Billy Graham said this really well in our context. Whoever wants to be my disciple must pick up their electric chair, sit in it, and die. Whoever who wants to save their life will lose it. Now you get it because it's not a pretty cross around your neck anymore, is it? It's a way of dying. Jesus shows us a way of dying so that we may live. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world? What good is it for someone to gain the American dream, yet forfeit their soul? He calls us to give what we can never keep to gain what we cannot lose. What a foolish trade we make for the things we see right in front of us on a daily basis that we think give us status or life or happiness. Goal is never happiness. It's always fulfillment in Christ. So as we pursue this life of taking up our cross on a daily basis, or if you like, your electric chair, we pursue life and life more abundantly. We don't make disciples to see how much people can suffer. We make disciples so people can enter into the fullness of the kingdom. Because the kingdom is available here and now on a daily basis. Yeah, and so when we were in New York, honestly for us, and it seems foolish now when you have like retrospect, but for us it really did feel like we were dying to ourselves because everything that we had invested our whole lives into, we were basically just throwing away. That's what it felt like. And... uh, Honestly, like, we were just really scared. Like, I didn't know anyone in California moving across the country. I would just have, like, panic attacks. Not panic attacks, but, like, really emotional meltdowns (laughs) in the shower. And I just, I I felt like God was punishing us. And uh, I just kept thinking, though, every time we prayed, every time we got alone with God, we just kept hearing God say, like, just trust me. Just trust me. Like, could you trust that everything that you're actually, like, wanting is on the other side of this obedience? And we were praying for revival in New York, and we were seeing lots of people saved. And, uh, like, just uh, in comparison to other churches, we were seeing a lot of, like, crazy things happen in our ministry. And it seemed like God was blessing everything we were doing. But yet, every time we closed our eyes and prayed, we would see God moving in California And we would literally see pictures of people that we hadn't seen before. And our hearts were just burdened for those people. And for us, it seems like everything's good in California. (laughs) Like, New York is like a mess. (laughs) California, like, they're at least happy. And, uh, I mean, you don't have to look far in the news to, like, (laughs) recognize that. But um, we just... 
our hearts were honestly breaking for California. And so we started to do some research and just look into like stats and stuff. And do you know only 6% of Orange County is Christian? 6%. Like that's really low considering how many moves of God historically have happened here. Like we should be at like 96%. And yet God has moved here probably more than any other region in America historically. Maybe Chicago's second um, in regards to revival history, but like God loves the ocean. Like look at the New Testament. He's like at the Sea of Galilee all the time. And he's like chilling at Huntington Beach because like he just likes the ocean. And so we were like, we just want to be where God is. And um, Something that someone told us, um, actually a really well-known prophet said something that I think is really profound. And a lot of us sometimes get confused because we're like, God is everywhere. God's everywhere. He's here, there, moving everywhere. But you know, God is sometimes moving in specific places for specific purposes. So like when we read in the New Testament, we see like Paul's going somewhere and the Holy Spirit actually tells him to go somewhere else. It doesn't mean that God's not in that other place, but he's doing a specific thing in a specific place for a specific reason. And so our job as believers is to be followers of him. And a lot of times we're like, well, I'm going to go here and God's just going to bless it because the Holy Spirit's within me. And yet that's not what we see at all in the Bible. In the Bible, we see Jesus is literally says, he says, I only do what I see the father doing. Jesus himself did nothing on his own accord. And so we want to see this move of God, but yet we're not asking him, what are you doing? Where are you? And the good news for you is we believe he's in Huntington Beach (laughs) doing something significant. So you just have to be like, where are you this morning? But we really felt like to be obedient to God, we had to move to California. And we, we just wanted to see like the more of God and not just revival, because I think revival is really cool, but we wanted to see God move in our own personal lives. We wanted to become just fully alive with the kingdom of God. And we wanted to experience just, we call it um, unbroken fellowship with Jesus. We wanted to live where every single moment we're just with him, no matter what we're doing, like whether we're drinking coffee in the morning or surfing at the beach, like we just want unbroken fellowship with him. And so we came here just believing that that's what God wanted us to do and that he would bless it. And so, yeah, and we're going to kind of talk about that a little bit more. And I'm actually, it's funny, I'm feeling like so emotional right now because I actually believe for a lot of you guys in the room today, especially with those prophetic pictures, like we didn't know they were doing that. But I feel like what we're about to get into right now, just talking about the kingdom I feel like God allowed that to happen this morning to demonstrate to you how much the kingdom is available to you. And a lot of times, like Parker said before, we just complicate it. Like here, I was like weeping because it was just uncomplicated. They're drawing what they see God showing them, and then they're being obedient and just giving it away. And yet we're like, I can't do it. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. They're going to reject me. Like none of us rejected that. We were like, please (laughs) give me a picture because the heart is so sincere, right? And yet so many times we're like afraid to share that kingdom that's so 
Like, look at how readily available that was, right? And yet, I think that, like, we're God's children. And that same kingdom is not only available for us, but available for Orange County. And so, Parker's going to talk a little bit more about that kingdom at hand. You're on a roll. You just take it next time. All right. So, we're going to go to Mark 1, 14 through 15 and see what Jesus has to say about this. It's funny how often... Um, Jesus actually mentions the kingdom of heaven. It's almost like it's the whole central core theme of his entire message, but nobody preaches it. How often in the United States of America do you hear a message on the kingdom of the heavens? How often do you hear, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, right? Or Mark 1, 14 through 15. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. And what is that good news? The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. See, Jesus is declaring a brand new kingdom. So many of us get trapped in just the, I got saved, right? So one of the problems I kept running into in ministry was people would put their hand up, they'd say a prayer, and then i go, okay, what do we do now? It can't just be a transaction, right? Jesus gives us the gift of what happened at the cross, right? But how do we live now? What happens between now and when I die? What happens between now and whenever? You get confused right after the moment of salvation. Well, Jesus is offering a solution to all of that. He's saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What's he talking about? His Jewish hearers would understand this really, really clearly, right? His Jewish hearers would understand this because the reality is, that they were seeing an entire narrative. They were seeing the kingdom of heaven starting all the way back at the book of Genesis, rolling all the way through to Jesus coming and saying, now's the time. It's right now. And Jesus is using, or the writers that wrote afterwards, because he was likely speaking a version of Hebrew, wrote it in Greek, kairos. What does kairos mean? It essentially means that time is coming to a head. Now is the opportune time. Now, all of history, everything we've been talking about up until this point, all the kings, all the failures, all the prophets, all the law, all everything is coming to a point in me right now. The kingdom of heaven is available and at hand. And when Jesus says that word, at hand, he's saying something so unbelievable. He's essentially saying, when, it co- when he says, come near, he's saying in the perfect Greek tense, right? And what does perfect Greek tense mean? It essentially means it's here right now, and it's continuing perfect work. So Jesus is saying when he says, come near, he's not just saying, oh, it's close. He'll be here anytime. He's saying, it's fulfilled. I'm here. And it's fulfilled in Christ. If we try and build our own little kingdoms around other things, that's when we run into problems. That's when we run into the new ageisms. That's when we run into spirits we don't know how to deal with. But when we build what Jesus is already building in the kingdom of the heavens, that's what we want to aim for because he's saying the moment is now. The kingdom of the heavens is here and available to you immediately and it will continue to be so perfectly to you through me. And every single person was understanding what he was saying. They thought it was going to be some military takeover, but he did something even better. He kicked The doors open to the availability of the presence of Almighty God in our daily lives. 
that's what the kingdom of heaven looks like. It looks like his perfect presence. You cannot take the Lord's prayer and remove the kingdom of heaven. Come. By what right do we remove that on a daily basis? Jesus wasn't joking. It wasn't a sweet metaphor. It wasn't nice. He's saying, pray like this. Praise my Father in heaven, and then ask for his will to be done here on earth as it is in heaven. His concrete rule and reign in your daily life and everything, how you eat, how you walk, how you speak to people, how you marry, how you have relationships, how you have friendships, how you work. That's why I say to the millennials in our church, it's like, what does the kingdom of heaven look like if you're a good employee? They should be sad to lose you. Kingdom of heaven is pervasive in every single aspect of our lives. And when we contain it to a church service, when we contain it to our Bible study, we have a problem. Gathering together is unbelievably important. It is. The scripture tells us to do so. But the reality is that every single moment, sleeping and waking, is your kairos moment. The kingdom of heaven has come to a head in Christ and it's available to you. What? Matthew 10? It was hard because your binding is brand new. It is a gorgeous Bible, though. I got you this. Matthew 10. So Jesus sends out his 12 apostles two by two, and apostles means sent ones. Go and announce to them, the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy, and cast out demons. Give as freely as you have received. Don't take any money in your money belts, no gold, silver, or even copper coins. Don't carry a traveler's bag with you, a change of clothes and sandals, or even a walking stick. Don't hesitate to accept hospitality because those who work deserve to be fed. Jesus is sending them out to establish the kingdom, and what does that look like? Heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy, cast out demons, And give as freely as you have received. How freely have you received? The most freely. The mostest freely. If you really think about what you've received in Christ, it is mind-boggling. Jesus wouldn't have to do one more thing. The work is complete. He didn't say, it's almost done. On the cross, he said, the work is finished. It is finished. It is done. The kingdom of heaven has come upon you. It is up to us to decide whether or not we will repent and enter in. And it's so, it's so difficult for us to hear that word in America, isn't it? Repent. It doesn't say repent for your individualism is at hand. Repent for your new shiny stuff that you can't stop buying on Amazon to fill a dark void in your heart. <laughs> Guilty. <laughs> it's like, oh, I just need this little thing. And it comes to my doorstep, and it's like a present from Jeff. (laughs) Right? (laughs) But the reality is, so many of us are trying to fill it with other things besides the kingdom when we have everything we need given to us, whether we're starving, whether we're full, whether we're broke, or whether we're prosperous, and everything in between. We should be the most satisfied people on planet Earth because we know we're loved. What do people really actually need in the kingdom of heaven? They need a family right? They need a new name, which has been given to us in Christ in the kingdom of the heavens. When he died on the cross and rose from the grave, he didn't just give us just salvation on the cross. He gave us a brand new name. He put his stamp on us before the Father and said, these are my people now. 
These are mine. You've taken on his name like my wife has taken on my name. For better or for worse. But with God, it's for better or for better. What kind of person do you follow where you could die and everything's good for you? In fact, even better. And someone might traipse along and resurrect you and you wouldn't like it so much. Like it was good where I was. There's nothing like living in the kingdom of heaven. We must repent and believe the good news. He says the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Turn from your old way. Return to God. Return to what he initially made us to be. You see, the Garden of Eden was nice. It was good. It was a good space to live in, right? But something evil entered in. What Jesus offers us in the kingdom of heaven is so much better. We don't just know him as creator and father. We know him as savior. It is better that he saved us. In this weird, upside-down, topsy-turvy way, we can know God better because we know what he's capable of and how deep his love actually goes. Because he showed us through 4,000 years or more of history the story of getting his family back. When I think about this, I think about my boys and what I do for my boys and the one on the way. Like, I would do anything. I know there was like this, uh, and I'll, I'll trade off to Jess after this, and she can, she can wrap it up from here. But I know there was, this, uh, there was this like jokester thing going on in our church in Salt for a while where people were like sneaking into each other's house and like stealing couches and moving stuff around or like gluing stuff to the floor. And I said, I'm praying for you that you do not enter my home while I am sleeping. I know not everyone's like on board with the Second Amendment, but I'm probably too much on board. And the reality is, I can say that in Orange County, right? Jesus says, take a sword with you. I'm just upgrading. And I said, I said, look, I love my family and I love my children. And I favor them over anyone trying to sneak into my house very greatly. And it's an amazing thing being a part of the family of God because two things happen, right? You can't separate wrath from love. That's a hard thing for us to hear. But I don't think I could really hurt a person just because or kill a person. But if I wake up in the middle of the night and there's someone standing in my boy's room and I don't know who they are, I'll do it with a smile on my face. God so much more than I or we could possibly imagine loves you and protects you in much the same way. While you're sleeping, while you're awake, and anything, we have to realize that the kingdom of heaven is a perfectly safe place to live. In living or in death, in starvation, or live, what a way to go to starve for Jesus. What a way to go to die for him. What if we get the chance in the next 30 years if the political drama keeps going the same direction? Let's go. Hoorah. We'll weed out the weak ones. Let's go. I think the reality is so many of us don't live in that space where we realize that he is our father because of what Christ has done and we take his name. His name is on you as an individual and as a group, as the church. His name is on you. Yeah, when he read Mark, um, when it says repent and believe 
the good news. I always feel like the issue is, is that we don't actually believe. Because the thing is, is like, I don't think we're saying anything new. Like, I know the Felkers. I know, like, the Kahana. Like, I know what you guys learn here. And so we're not saying anything that's like, whoa, this is the craziest thing. No one's ever told us about the kingdom before. But the thing is, is that oftentimes we just don't believe it, you know? And uh, when Jesus is actually talking to them and he's saying, you know, your faith has made you well, or like, how much longer must I be with you? You have no faith. Like he's all the time demonstrating this thing. And for them, when they would have heard him say faith, they would have understood that what it meant in the ancient language was it meant to be fully convinced by God. So it's not like Pinterest faith where we're like, okay, like I have faith, you have faith. It actually means that you're a hundred percent fully convinced by God on something. It means that God said something and you're just uh, totally convinced. And so when it says like, your faith has made you well, Jesus is saying to the woman, he's saying the thing that you believe that you've been fully convinced of, that's why you're well because you've believed God. And so Jesus is saying here in Mark, he's saying, repent and be fully convinced. And now I'm going to show you why you should be fully convinced. And it says that he demonstrated signs and wonders and miracles and every single place he went, people were healed because he's constantly demonstrating what they are supposed to be fully convinced of. And then the best thing is a lot of times we read this and we're like, gosh, the disciples are so stupid. Like if I had Jesus with me, like I'd be like, oh yeah, I believe you. Like we're totally good. But yet we don't because we have the Holy Spirit living within us, which the disciples did not have in the gospels. When we read that, we're like, why were they scared in the boat? And yet we have the same power that raised Christ from the dead living inside of us. And yet when we can't pay our rent at the end of the month, we're like, what are we going to do? But we're like, but if I was in that boat with Jesus, I would have been fine. But you have the Holy Spirit living within you. And so my, my, encouragement slash challenge for us today is, is let's just be people that are fully convinced because I believe truly that revival isn't just this move of God. I've studied revival history to the point of like, you'd be so bored with the annoying facts that I know about things, but people are like, oh, God moved in this place and something miraculous happened. Sort of. That's sort of what happened in revival. Every single revival started with a group of people that were just fully convinced. And they said, you know what? We're going to gather together and we're going to pray. And I'm so sick of people saying like, you need to do more than pray. Well, if you're fully convinced that when you pray, you're talking to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, all you would do is pray. Because if you knew who you're talking to, you know that prayer actually works. But we do all these other things and we stress out and we have to have millions of conversations with millions of people all the time because we're not fully convinced. But I believe that through the power of the Holy Spirit and reading his word, it literally says, it says, transform the way you think by reading this. You know, every single day I believe things that the world is telling me because it's right here. Like this stage is right here. So I believe it's here because I can touch it with my hands. 
But the word is saying that there are things that exist. There are powers and principalities. When I get into an argument with a friend, the word is saying to me, you're actually not in a battle with this person. You're in a battle with something that you cannot see. And so you need to be fully convinced that your war is not against a person, but against a power and principality. And that's how we can actually bring revival into Orange County is not by just saying we want revival. We need to be people that are committed and we're committed because we've repented. We've turned away. And guess how you turn away from sin? You don't try to just turn away from sin. You're convinced that there's something better. You're convinced that there's something better. I was like, totally addicted to cocaine, working in the nightclub industry, like living a crazy life. And it was easy for me to stop all of that in a moment. It was easy. I had depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts, and it was easy for me to hand that over. I'm like, you're giving me life instead for nothing? I just have to choose to believe you? This is crazy. Like, this is actually the most good news that ever existed. And I can't believe no one's telling me about this. I literally got saved in my bedroom through an encounter with God. And I was working in nightclubs. And I literally was mad at God that not one Christian ever came into a nightclub to tell me that this was available to me. That was my, like, issue with him. I was like... God, if this is real, like this is really real, this is the kingdom, and this is what Christians are saying they believe, why the heck is no one coming into nightclubs and telling people about this? Like this is really crazy stuff that we say we believe. We say we believe that we have a father God in heaven, and we're his children, and we have all authority because of Jesus, and that our Savior didn't only die on a cross, but we believe that he rose again. You guys believe that someone rose from the dead. That's what you believe as Christians. That's why you're here, because you're like, I believe someone rose the dead. And you believe that there's a Holy Spirit that can speak to you. How could we not share that? There are people that are literally riddled with depression and they're every day struggling, not knowing where they can find hope. And we're nervous that they may reject us if we tell them about Jesus. Can you imagine? I mean, we've all been there. Can you imagine trying to survive this life without God? I mean, What God's given us, like Parker said, it's the greatest gift. It truly is the greatest gift. And people are like, Jesse, you're so bold. I'm like, I promise you, I'm not. I'm just fully convinced that I got the best deal on planet Earth. And if, like, I'm on Groupon and there's, like, a great deal to go to, like, Knott's Berry Farm for, like, $10 or something, I'm going to send it to all my friends because it's a good, it's just a good deal. And for me, I'm, like, I'm just convinced that I was broken, ashamed, struggled with depression and anxiety, and then was totally set free 
So why would I not tell people that? And people are like, you're so bold on social media. You're just always talking about Jesus. I'm like, what, what else is there to really talk about? Like, I just think sometimes when I talk to people, and I talk to people a lot about sharing their faith, the only reason I believe you don't is someone else has convinced you that the consequence or your insecurity or your ability does not match what he's promised. That's the only reason. You're either afraid to be rejected because you're not convinced of who's with you. And Jesus says, he says, go and preach to all the nations. Go make disciples and baptize them. It says in Matthew 28, it says, go into all the nations and preach the gospel. And he goes, I am with you until the very end of the age. You know, I prayed for a guy in New York once, and this was probably the scariest thing I've ever done because this guy was sitting there and he had teardrops on his face, which were tattoos that represented that he had murdered people. And I'm sitting there and we're about to go into church. And I'm sitting there at Parker and I'm like, oh gosh, I just want God to use me. God, show me more of your power, more of your love, more of your glory. And I'm just sitting there and I'm like, I just want to experience your presence, God. Show me more. And he goes, go talk to that guy right there. And I was like, no, (laughs) nope, I'm really okay. And I look at Parker and I was like, I'm going to tell Parker to do it. (laughs) Because then it's like half obedience. So I'm like, Parker, I kind of think that you should go pray for that guy over there. I'm not saying that God's telling you to, but I just think it would be a good idea. And Parker looks at me annoyingly and he goes, is God telling you to go pray for that guy? And I was like, oh, I think so. And he was like, just go. I'm sitting right here. What's the worst that could happen? I'm like, I don't know. He could kill me because he's an actual murderer. That's like a a thing that could happen. I'm like, I don't care if he calls me an idiot, but he can actually murder me. And Parker's like, just go, just go. And so I go over and I'm shaking and I'm like, and I've shared my faith a lot, but I'm like, it's really different when it's a murderer. And (laughs) and New York City, like people are all kind of crazy. So they're not like the homeless here. I'm like, the homeless here are so awesome. They're like so happy. New York, they're angry. (laughs) But I go over and I'm like, hi. And I'm like, God, what do you want me to say? I'm getting nothing. Literally like nothing. I'm like, I'm going to get a word of knowledge. I'm going to guess his birthday. I'm getting nothing for this guy, except I'm just staring at the tattoos on his face. And I'm like, what do I even say? And I'm like, hi, can I talk to you? And he's like, okay, what do you want? I was like, I don't know. And I just sit down next to him and I'm like, what am I doing? And you know when your body is just doing something and you're like, I don't know what's happening right now. And I sit down next to him and I go, I just want you to know that Jesus loves you. (laughs) Super profound, very prophetic, I know. And I go, I just want you to know Jesus loves you. And he goes, okay. And I was like, and he doesn't want you to be alone. And he goes, all right. And I'm like, yep. And I'm like, this is a huge failure. <laughs> and, I, and he goes, all right. And then literally, as I'm just saying this, that's when 
God gave me the word. And all of a sudden I go, did you recently go through like a breakup? And he looks at me like this and I go, I'm sorry if that's really personal. I just feel like right now you're in the midst of maybe like a breakup situation. He starts crying. He takes out his phone and he said, I'm literally texting my wife right now and she's wanting to end our marriage and get a divorce. He goes, I just got out of jail this weekend. (laughs) He goes, and I came out of jail and I was so excited to be reunited with her. And she's saying she doesn't want me to come back home. I start bawling, crying. I do not know this man. I am afraid of him. And I start bawling, crying. And he's looking at me like, why are you crying? And I'm just like, God loves you so much. He sent me over here to tell you that. And he's in the midst of this relationship. And I just start speaking life over him. And he's like, why are you crying? And I'm like, I'm just crying because I can't believe how much God loves you that he would make me come over here and talk to you. And he's like, yeah. And we're just talking and talking. He ends up sharing his whole life with me. And we're talking. And he says, I go, his name was Mike. And I go, Mike, do you want to follow Jesus? And he was like, yes, I do. And I was like, all right. And so on that park bench, he gave his life to God. And the thing is, is I just want to tell you, like, even if something seems like it's scary and it seems like crazy and like you're the last person to do it, My word encouragement, just like these kids demonstrated to you, is you don't know what God is doing. You don't know what's happening. Like the girl over here, like myself sitting up in the front, literally God had been speaking to me for the last week about that picture that that girl gave to me. Okay, so she just had to be obedient to deliver the word. A little girl just demonstrated to all of us that same opportunity that we have every day. And so my encouragement to you is to wake up in the morning and literally all you have to do is, Jesus, I lay down my life before you. Help me to be fully convinced that your kingdom is more real than what the world is trying to convince me of. Because every single day there is a battle for what you actually believe. Every single day. Are you healed or are you sick? Are you not able to have babies or can you have babies in Jesus' name? What are God's promises? What are the prophecies over your life? Like Tim said, from generation to generation, what were the words spoken to your ancestors that you can claim today? What's every promise in this word that God says that we can hold claim to in Jesus' name? It says that literally, I believe all the time when it says, it says, lift up your eyes for the harvest. The harvest is plentiful. And so Father's House, there are so many people in Huntington Beach specifically, forget Newport, forget Costa Mesa, forget everywhere else. In Huntington Beach, there are fatherless people that need to come into a Father's House. Will you be fully convinced by God when he says, lift up your eyes for the harvest is available to you? Or will you be convinced that you need to get to work on time? Or will you get be convinced that they're going to reject you or they may not accept you or you may not have the right things to say? Or do you believe that he says, by his spirit, he will give you the words to say? Because that's what the word of God says, which is more real than your insecurities. And so it says, go out, go out. And our job is just to respond. 
We don't need to know what to say. We just go out and we allow him to speak to us and through us. And so they invited us here because we're getting to partner together on so many amazing things. And I love what God is doing in regards to unity in Orange County. And when we moved here, people were like, oh, no one in the church works together. And we were like, no, no, no. This word says where there is unity, God commands a blessing. So we actually do work together because that's what this says. And it says that this is his bride. It's not a thousand brides. He's not a weird God that has a billion brides. He has one. He has one, which means that we are one. We are one family. Like, we love them and we get along with them. So, like, if you haven't done their pottery class thing, go and do it. It's the most fun. But we support one another and love one another because we're his bride collectively. And so next summer, we're doing a thing called Saturate OC. And, oh, those are my babies. Hi. <laughs> They're so cute. Um, next summer, we're doing a collective evangelism event. July in Huntington Beach. And it's during the U.S. Open of surfing. And I was going to share this earlier, but I felt like God told me to leave it for the end. And uh, I'm going to read to you this first. 2 Corinthians 5.18 says, All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though, as though, like this is crazy, as though God were making his appeal through us. Okay, we implore you on Christ's behalf First of all, for yourself, be reconciled to God. Turn away from the stuff that is convincing you otherwise that this is not real. Be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What a crazy promise. We get to be his ambassadors. So next summer, Father's House, Rock Harbor, Celebrations Church, Presence Church, Salt Churches, a bunch of churches in the region, we're getting together and we're believing not for 1,000 people to be saved in Huntington, not for 2,000, not for 3,000. We're believing for a 50,000 person harvest. And here's why because it's happened here before. And so if it's happened here before, he can do it again. Because a prophecy and a testimony are the same thing. Because what he's done before, he can easily do again, only if his children in the Father's house would be fully convinced that we are his ambassadors to be reconciled to God and to find those lost children in Huntington Beach that needs to be brought into the Father's house again. And so I'm just going to pray over you. And honestly, I feel like I wasn't going to do this, but we're just going to go there. If God has been imploring you to share the gospel, to be a witness, 
And you can do a little heart check right now, and I don't even know what's in your heart. But in the last three months, if you've not been sharing the gospel, I'm actually going to give you a moment to repent. And I'm going to pray, and this is honestly just between you and God. But if you're not sharing the good news of who he is, either you don't believe him or you're in disobedience. And both are not good. And the thing is, is God is so merciful that he wants to draw us into him. And so Jesus, right now, we just thank you. We thank you that you died on the cross for us. But even more than your sacrifice, God, we thank you that you rose again. God, I thank you that you gave us your spirit so that we could lead people to you, Lord Jesus, and we can have unbroken fellowship with you. And so if you've been talking to us about sharing the gospel and we have cowered to fear instead of walking in boldness and courage in who you are, God, we repent right now in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, I ask that you forgive us for our disobedience, God. I ask right now that you fill us with boldness and courage. It says in Acts that they spoke with boldness and courage when they received the Holy Spirit. And so like those little kids today, I pray that we would be bold and courageous in what you're saying to us, what you're showing to us, God. And God, if we have not been fully convinced that you are the King of kings and you are the Lord of lords, God, I pray right now that by your spirit, you transform our minds in Jesus' name. I pray that you heal our minds. I break off depression and anxiety and any fear right now that's controlling people in this room and preventing them from being an ambassador. We just break that right now in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, come. We thank you, God, that not only do you heal, but you are the healer. You are the prince of peace, God. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that you deliver your peace right now, the peace that goes beyond understanding, when we can go in front of kings or murderers and feel that perfect peace. In Jesus' name. And Holy Spirit, I thank you that every single person in this room is going to lead someone to the Lord by your power, that we would see what you're doing, that our eyes would be open, that we would lift up our eyes and see the low-hanging oranges of Orange County, and we would pick the fruit, and we would personally make disciples. It would not be the responsibility of our leaders, Lord, but we would take on the responsibility of the Great Commission on a personal level. And we would disciple nations. And literally that 6% in Huntington Beach would move to 100% in Jesus' name. Because that is your will, Lord God. So we receive it right now in Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord God, that you are the king. You are the king. And Jesus, you are alive. Help us to live. Every single day, like you're alive, like you're alive, God. So we give you Monday through Sunday, and we give our lives to you, Lord. Help us, help us to be ambassadors of your kingdom, God. Help us to be ambassadors of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together.
Let's stand. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Yeah, can I just have uh, just leaders and people to pray? You know, we're just going to be available to pray for you. What just happened here in the in the spirit? I just feel like I'm, I'm just seeing automobiles like drive into Jiffy Lube and get a tune-up. I feel like I'm just seeing cylinders that were that were not working, not moving. Now there's full cylinders operating now. And, and vehicles, you know, represent your life, represent ministry. I just feel like the Lord has, he's tuned you up this morning. You're running on all cylinders. You're, you're thinking properly from what God just did in this place. And if, if you're just like, man, I got to tune up today. Like the Holy, Holy Spirit's on me. Like I feel cylinders that were frozen. They're moving again. Like you need to get prayer this morning. Let us lay hands on you and pray for you. Also, if there's, if you're sick in body, if you're in a, have an impossible situation, like we're going to be convinced that God's greater than those things. And we're going to partner with you and pray with you. So it's just an opportunity right now. So I, if you're just like, man, I'm getting a tune-up right now, you need to come up right, right now. Just come on up, and we're going to pray for people. Just come right now. Just come right now. Receive, receive prayer. Receive what the Lord has for you. Thank you, Lord. And my, and my leaders and prayer people just start finding someone to pray for. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Sam, come over here. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Wow, 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 wow. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Ha, ha. More, 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 Lord. Oh, please don't miss this opportunity to let us partner and pray with you. Shoo, ba, 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 Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, for what you're doing, Lord. Shoo, ba, 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 ba. Just a moment longer. Jesus, 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 we lift you up, Jesus, we bless you, Jesus, yes, Lord, we bless you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thanks for tuning in today. We hope you feel inspired, encouraged, and empowered to change the world for the name of Jesus. Make sure to tune in and listen to our other podcasts and download our app, Salt Churches, found on iTunes. We hope to see you and hear from you soon. Thanks. Have a great day.